So we're back to talk about creativity and the power of creativity to get inside of problems and, and solve problems for us in whatever capacity, in whatever industry we're in. Today I'm joined again by my co-host, Mike Viseglia, and our special friend, Cheryl Clark, who's joined us today. She is the inspiration and the visionary behind Boston Proper, also its CEO and kind of lead provocateur in taking that brand forward and capturing the essence of an entire generation's interest and uh, trying to figure out really where society is and where people's passions lie and capture that in a way that we can wear. That's mm-hmm. um, kind of the, the, the vision, Cheryl, for when you walk in the door in the morning with that as a little bit of a setup. You, we all get out of our house, we get in our car, we drive to the office, but when you walk in the door, you have a big responsibility, not just to the people you work with every day, but to the hundreds of thousands and millions of people that you're responsible for in some way. Yeah, um, I really relate to her. I, I believe that I am her, I've always been her, and um, when this job and this opportunity came together, it was like perfect, because I live and breathe her every day. Because for me, I had a journey to become a confident woman, to really feel empowered in the decisions that I made, and also to put on something sexy and feel good about it, especially as I as I aged. I mean, as a as you're in the fashion industry and you know you're young and everything's great, and then all of a sudden you're 40, and then all of a sudden you're 50. You know, how do you make that transformation, and how can I help women make that transformation and still feel really good about themselves, feel mm-hmm. good about how they look? It's not about your age, and it's not about your size. Actually, it's all about your confidence. It's mm-hmm. all about your inner self. Yeah. And that's what I try to do every day, is yeah. help her realize her inner self allows her to be who she needs to be and wear it with confidence. Yeah. yeah. No, that's a, that's a perfect setup for the conversation we're going to have today in continuing to kind of drive inside of that, what goes on in your mind and what goes on in your team's mind and all of those customers and wannabe customers that are out there that you're trying to find, that you're trying to connect with. Mike, from from your perspective, when we're in this conversation about what kind of gets us rolling when we walk in the door for whatever it is we're doing that day, Mm. I have responsibility for a business that's in the business of problem solving and coming up with solutions and new pathways to figure out how to put brands in front of mm-hmm. consumers or, or businesses mm-hmm. to inspire them, to connect with them, to, to find a way so that people on the other side can in fact get that moment of enlightenment or that mm-hmm. moment of, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. that in this case would look fantastic mm-hmm. on me or that would be great for my significant other. I'd never considered it that way right. before. And in your world, what is that? look like? My world, um, I, my mission every day is to somehow either, either present or be reflective of some kind of authentic experience. Now, I manifest that in, in music and the people that I choose to be around musically, because uh, music is what I do for a living and it's what I do all day long. It's in my brain. So I think that the, my connection, my, my, I'm compelled to try to make a connection to people. And I think the, uh, the artist, the connection that an artist makes is to bring something to another person and transmit something to another person that actually lifts them up, mm. that actually um, some, ma- makes them feel the humanity that, mm-hmm. that we all have. And I think that's the, to me, that's the common element that um, in, in whatever business that there is, and I think in Cheryl's business, that can be, ref- uh, the fashion can absolutely be reflective uh, um, and, and cross over into, into art. And I think when that does, that's the magic moment that, that I feel that people, everybody can relate to because everybody wants to feel the, the, their own humanity and they mm-hmm. want to see that humanity reflected in other, other people. Now, whether that's done through music or through, through fashion or whatever it might be, I think mm-hmm. that's my mission in life is to try to transmit an authentic human experience. Catch that moment right there, Cheryl, where Mike talked about where fashion and art 
in whatever form comes to you. You have to take the inspiration of something that's intangible, mm-hmm. right? Feelings, emotion, confidence, whatever, what inspires you, and turn it into something I can wear or your customer can wear. What's that moment well, for you? You know, I think that the most interesting thing for me is how you take, you said uh, be authentic and mm-hmm. authenticity, mm-hmm. and we lost that, you know, in, the, in our journey when we went mm-hmm. public. And when we went, went back to being a private company this January, the first thing we had to do was recreate the values of the company because no one on my team mm-hmm. had innovation, creativity, openness, it, it just, they just weren't values that they, that they lived by anymore. And so we had to recreate that. We had to re, because there was no way we could have an intersection of anything unless we got those values back. And one of the number one values we did is, you know, be authentic, which could be huge, right? I mean, authentic to your customers so that it matters, all that. But our words for it internally was embrace the sexuality of our customer and the brand, because mm. that was what ruined us when we went down a path. That you gave that up. We gave that up. Mm. And, and, and giving that up, we gave up the creativity, the innovation, we gave up who we were. And so getting that back and making sure that everyone understood that you don't have to, you don't have to be sexy to work at Boston Proper. You just have to be able to embrace the fact that that's part of what we do. Mm-hmm. And so in doing that, it unleashed my creative team like no one's business. Mm-hmm. They, they, they got their mojo back because they could then take what they knew, art and creativity and innovation, and go down paths that we weren't allowed to go down before. So did you, did you give them the right? I did. Right? The approval to talk about sexuality in a way that was earnest and honest. We, Not some other derivative of that, but in its most genuine And And you have to allow us to push the barriers a little bit, right? So at one point, Alana come to me with this Instagram ad, this Instagram ad he wanted to do, or picture, and it was Anna, and she had on a negligee and a fur coat, and you know, her hand was kind of going south, and it was amazing, right? It was so cool. Never could we have done that before. (laughs) And he said, are you okay if we do it? And I said, of course I'm okay. This is who we are. Mm-hmm. And examples like that are the examples that you set that, you know, you think you're making a comment in a room and you're going to go post something, but it, bro- you know, it breaks through all the barriers in the company and everyone then all of a sudden says, I have freedom to think. I can be innovative. I can be creative again. And it's just amazing how little things take it all away because there's a lot of little things that got us to a place where we had lost it. Mm-hmm. And then little things can help everyone get it back. And mm-hmm. um, you're just so lost without it. that it, That's to me the biggest learning I've had is if, we, if I don't unleash the creativity of my team, how could we ever have anything that a customer would want to buy? Mm-hmm. Because then it, we're the same as everyone else and there's no difference. And yep. that was what happened to us. In a world of homogeneity, right? Yes. Things, almost no matter where you go, things feel more and more like. Absolutely. I think any, in, in any business, I don't care what it is, any business where you can get um, your team to reflect as many elements, um, many, as many um, parts of themselves, that is only a recipe for health and creativity. Mm-hmm. And sexuality is a part of who we are. Yes. And I think that's something that shouldn't be dealt with abstractly or shouldn't be um, repressed or suppressed. I think it, it should be a, there should be a way to, help, to integrate it healthily into what we're doing. And I think that the more, you've, more of those issues or th- things that you find um, that manifest themselves as part of what we are holistically as human beings, that creates a great atmosphere for, for um, innovation. Absolutely. And I so, think that you're right with that. With so have fun with this yeah. for a second, because you are in a show called Kinky Boots. Right. <laughs> Let's, why not? We're yeah. here, yeah. yeah. Why, why not? Every night you get to feel right. and hear mm. an audience react to sexuality in right. a variety of different ways. Right. What are you experiencing, both of you, as that opens up and becomes possible for people to be okay? Well, what I'm experiencing, day, I mean, where we've done... Because this is, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. This is, 
this is a, a concept that not everybody's comfortable with, right? right? But everybody's read about it probably before they got there and said, okay, I'm ready for whatever is going to be. Oh, you'd be, be surprised how many people are not ready and they haven't read about it. They don't know what they're working <laughs> right? to. Yeah. But the thing is, I mean, the sexuality, even though it's, it's presented in the forefront on some levels, what eventually happens throughout the show is you just kind of accept it as other elements of the character's humanity transcends all of that. And then suddenly it's all the, all the commonness that we have takes, starts to take shape mm. and all the connections that are made that are beyond, beyond the sexual. And people start to feel that. So when, you, when they walk in, they may be initially shocked because there's uh, you know transvestites on stage and you know and the and the plot is interesting even though it's a true true story it's an interesting plot um, but eventually um, the the disparate personalities that are in the audience start to also um, meld with the disparate personalities that are on stage and they find their commonness in humanity and suddenly this sexuality as mm. as 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 shock and awe as it is, just starts to melt away yeah. and you just feel bonded with everybody. Yeah. And I think that's what has to happen, not only in society, but um, in our society, but throughout the world. I think that there's too many places in, in government religion where, where aspects of what we are, human aspects of what we are, 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 are suppressed or, or, or defined in yeah. ways that aren't healthy. Does that show up in product? Absolutely. I mean, it shows up in product, and it shows up in, in creative, right? In the in the catalog or on the website, or it, it shows up all the time because we could take something that's a, a generic, you know, V-neck T-shirt, and through the creativity of the team, they can make it Boston proper. Mm -hmm. They can make it right for our customer, and it's the same T-shirt, and two or three other people can wear it a different way or can react to it a different way. But our person, our customer sees it in, a, in this light that kind of, it's almost like a cloak of confidence when she's wearing it. And, and that's what I think is cool about, mm -hmm. about the clothes, because nothing we do is so unique and special. I mean, realistically, mm -hmm. it's clothes. And at the end of the day, that's another part of what we value is that we don't take ourselves too seriously. I mean, we're selling clothes. But our job is really to make women feel great when they put our clothes on, feel confident. And, and whether it's a high neck or a low neck, feel sexy because sex isn't about skin either. It's about attitude. Right. And that's the, that's the defining right. fact that actually never even came through previously either. Yeah. Everyone thought it was all about showing your boobs and it, it's not that. So, now there's a, obviously you, side, must deal, right? you must deal with the, the tipping point. Yeah. Of where it, it where something is sexy and confident, and then it beyond a certain point, it becomes kind of trashy Trashy's, and not absolutely. good. Absolutely, we live on that line. So that's so that's a fine line that you're always kind of. Yes. I find that to be an interesting place it is. because it's interesting to me that, and I'm not I'm not involved in the fashion industry, but it's interesting to me that I can see clothes on a woman, um, and I could say that's beautiful and sexy. And then I could see something else on another woman and say, that's, that's trashy. And I don't exactly know where that line is, but that's something that you have to deal with all the time. All right? the time. And, and really, for the creative team, it's something that they have to deal with all the time because they're dealing with it on the, on the photo shoots and they're kind of making it all work and, and, and trying to put things together so that they look good. But there, there is an essence that when you do have that, I, I honestly really do believe that it's that confidence that actually almost takes you mm -hmm. from trashy to sexy mm -hmm. because of when we're doing, when we're, when we're taking those photos and we're, you know, in, in some amazing place, right, in the backdrop and she's having cocktails and the pool and the water and all that. Like, who doesn't feel good when they're on vacation, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you really feel good. You're looking your best. You got a little tan going on. Like, that whole thing, it portrays itself through, manifests itself through our photo shoots. And capturing that essence, to me, is, is really what my team does so well. In each of our responsibilities in our worlds, right, we have a pretty big impact and ability to make it okay. Yeah. And there's so much ability we have as leaders to create a, an environment where it's okay. That you start to pull out, whether it's at a show or whether it's in our jobs, you start to pull out what people are really all about and then leave it there yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't sneak back right. in again. Right. Right? Leave it out there. 
Um, I'd like to go to a scene from a film because I think it's really a perfect setup for this conversation. Out of the Devil Wears Prada, which is on some level cliche, as a film that represents fashion and, and life and art and humanity, but also is a reflection of an industry that is misunderstood. And in the, in the era of the celebrity that carries the news against the backdrop of some pretty difficult issues the world and our country is grappling with, fashion stands up as something that's unpredictable but very predictable at the other, kind of the other end of the emotion, which is I know when I go there, it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And that film in particular, and Meryl Streep in particular, set up a conversation between those that were around her and Anne Hathaway in particular, talking about, really it was the context, about fashion in a way that was far more profound than initially was presented by uh, the actor and actress Anne Hathaway when she talked about her blue sweater. Mm-hmm. So I thought we'd play that as a way to kind of prod us into a conversation around the fashion and the, and the, the, the clothes industry from its surface to something a bit more, more profound. Let's take a look. Something funny? No, 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 nothing's, you know, it's just that both those belts look exactly the same to me, you know, I'm still learning about this stuff and, uh... This stuff? Oh, okay, I see. You think this has nothing to do with you. You go to your closet and you select, I don't know, that lumpy blue sweater, for instance, because you're trying to tell the world that you take yourself too seriously to care about what you put on your back, but what you don't know is that that sweater is not just blue, it's not turquoise, it's not lapis, it's actually cerulean. And you're also blithely unaware of the fact that in 2002, Oscar de la Renta did a collection of cerulean gowns, and then I think it was Yves Saint Laurent, wasn't it, who showed cerulean military jackets? I think we need a jacket here. Mm. And then Cerulean quickly showed up in the collections of eight different designers. And then it uh, filtered down through the department stores and then trickled on down into some tragic casual corner where you no doubt fished it out of some clearance bin. However, that blue represents millions of dollars and countless jobs. And it's sort of comical how you think that you've made a choice that exempts you from the fashion industry when in fact, you're wearing a sweater that was selected for you by the people in this room from a pile of stuff. <laughs> oh, so great. <laughs> Could say it a hundred times. I got a chill. I know. <laughs> so I had, I had mentioned earlier that this kind of reflects an industry in a way, certainly that, that film. Maybe comment on that, on Cheryl, from your point, viewpoint. When you first saw this, how did that translate into your life maybe and because it is who you represent well you know the interesting thing it hit me personally more than anything because i remember you know 30 years ago when i had the conversation with my dad small italian family you know he's a lawyer you're going to go to law school and i said i want to be a buyer and he's a buyer of what (laughs) right and having that conversation about this is something i wanted to get into the fashion industry and um it, it was a real challenge so for me you know this movie kind of validated what I was doing and why I was in it. And not only to them, to all their friends who were like, yeah, she's in the whatever. What does she actually do? Um, So it was was just so amazing. And, you know, we spend so much time talking about all those things she's talking about, the little tiny details on things. And we obsess about them. And, you know, if you don't get it, right, we're like, what do you mean you can't see that that stitch is too tight and it's like, what do you mean that color looks the same? Like, no, not even close. So it was just everything about this movie, just I, I loved every part of it because it is our life. And I feel like for the first time, it kind of was out there yeah. in the world to say this is a little bit, you know, granted not every job in fashion is like this, but this is a representation yeah. of what we do. Yeah. And it was kind of cool. Yeah. The, the simplicity of Cerulean Blue, 
which has become cliche yes. now, but people <laughs> use that in lots of lots of different ways. Although although it became a film, it also, to your point, kind of represents that small thread represents an industry. It does. And and I'd be interested, both you and Mike, and I'll I'll give you my version as well, but how a small idea, cerulean blue in this case, can become something that can be transformational. Hmm. A simple idea. And maybe, Mike, from a music perspective, of course, we're in an industry now where Pharrell is getting sued by the Marvin Gaye estate over riffs and tunes that sound so similar, and not to go down that track per se, but an idea is an idea. Well, it starts yeah, but, with an idea. Right? But it, it kind of harkens back to what I said before. One of the reasons that people are getting sued left, right, and center these days is because there's, it's very, very hard to find an original idea. Mm-hmm. So what they're doing is they're co-opting ideas from other people. And, that, and, and in a sense, they're being inauthentic. And that's why I, I always try to, like I said before, I always try to look at what I do not as a business decision as much as an artistic decision. And I think that's, that's a big difference for me. And that's why I think, I think like where, where fashion, where high fashion becomes um, something more than that is where it intersects with art. And I think where, because art, art is, to me, diff, is, it's separated from business. And I try to make my decisions, um, well, you know, there are, there are realistic considerations. You know, I have, to, I have to make a living. I have to, you know, continue earning, earning, uh, earning money and paying my bills and what everybody needs to do. But I try to, I try to skew my decisions at least toward the artistic side. So, and if I'm doing that and I'm really kind of connecting with that, then I know that there's going to be, there's going to be a, an authentic part of that decision. And I'm hoping that that authenticity resonates with other people. And I think that's probably a similar situation. I mean, if I'm not, if I'm not reading it incorrectly, when um, uh, Yves Saint Laurent and, and decided to use Cerulean Blue, in, in a sense, that was that kind of thing. I mean, he was going to make a, a statement using that color, but with his gowns being, being, his creations being as much art as it is clothing, that it, has a, it had a resonance with millions of people mm-hmm. when he did it. And I think that's, I try to do um, musically, I try to have a consideration of, of um, that what I do is a business, but it also has to be, there has to be an artistic, artistic factor to it. And I think too many times in the music world, the artistic factor is not even considered and it's only business decisions. And subsequently you get um, a plethora of in, in, inauthentic, you know, product out there because I call it product yeah you know and that's why I try to you know straddle that line with a little bit more consideration toward the artistic in fact the authenticity as we were saying earlier the originality the the ability to stay true to what you represent is in fact more often than not what makes money absolutely and selling out or cutting off the edges or are diluting the message of what you're trying to. Well, at the very least, it would right? ha- it would has the most longevity. Right. I right. mean, you can make a decision based on, um, like a copycat decision. Say, oh, this is in style, so let's copy that, and make a kind of a, you know, some manifestation of you know of that, and it might sell. But it's not gonna. It's not necessarily gonna brand you as a company yeah. that's that's got staying power because the staying power comes in the vision, not in not in those little quick moments of uh, mm-hmm. you know trying to cash in on something. That's what in I fact think. fast fashion's not doing so well. No, yeah. well, it, what goes around comes around, right? right. We've learned that yeah. definitely in the fashion industry. You know, I think the other element that we haven't talked about yet that really um, I've I've realized over the over the course of this time recently matters is having people who aren't afraid to take risks, whether it's your customer, whether it's people on your team, whether it's your own leadership team. When you have a a group of people who are willing to be open-minded, to be flexible and to take risks, 
that that's game changing right Absolutely. now. It is. It is uh, to me. It yeah. is game changing right now, and that almost seems like particularly now. Particularly right. now, yeah. because the customer is so savvy now. She has so many choices. She's moving so fast that you've got to have a team that isn't afraid to take risks. And for us, you know, after having. A long course of not not doing well and losing track of who we were, gaining that 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 momentum back in my team so that they would be able to take risks. It took a little while, right? Like after the first kind of we got our ba- our, our, our mojo back. Uh, okay, maybe. Set. You know, even now, yeah. I I actually think my job as a leader, aside from pushing, you know, creativity and you know, openness, is pushing people to take risks and letting them know that I'd rather, you know, we have a saying in in, in our industry, it's better to fall forward than fall back. Ah, that's Love great. That. That's that. fantastic. Right. Yep. Yeah. And 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 the other thing we're saying now a lot is we're holding hands. We're doing it together. Right. So if if this doesn't work, we're doing it together. You're not there by yourself. And I think those kinds of things that help get the risk out of it allow people then to be innovative, to be creative, and to do things differently. I mean, our industry kind of is all about being inspired by something. Right. It all goes back to at one point somebody was inspired and this mm-hmm. is happening. And how I look at it for our customer is, what does she, what does she need, right? Because right now, I mean, fashion—you can buy clothes all you want, but most women who are in their, you know, 40s and 50s, they've got a closet full of stuff. And for them to make a decision to go out and buy something, to go on the web, to look something up—I feel like where we can break through is by giving her something she doesn't have in her, in her closet. So when we started seeing early signs of the, the off the shoulder, right? I went in my own closet and I said. I actually don't even have this anymore. I mean, at some point, I'm sure I did, but I've given it away, and and it's so relevant. And wow, talk about a woman in that age. Like, this is what you're showing, and you're covering this, and wow, talk about sexuality, confidence, like really, and something I don't have. This is going to be good for us. And so we jumped on it, and some of it we kind of created, some of it we were inspired mm-hmm. by, and then all of a sudden we've we've created a movement, right? Mm-hmm. And then you're seeing it all over, and, and yeah. that's that's the part of what I do that really makes me happy because whether I'm seeing somebody that's wearing something from us or I'm seeing something that I'm like, oh, that's so cool. Like we've helped empower women to actually mm-hmm. wear that. And so how do you keep your team okay Engaged is more commonly used, I suppose, but make it okay for them to continue down the path. You know, you might say, you know, the peekaboo look maybe won't survive. Maybe it's gone too far, right? right. But how do you keep pushing that and not let go? Because tendency, right? rubber band does kind of want to go back. I'm always like, what's next, you guys? I'm, what's next? Okay, so that was great. Instead of doing that again next spring, what's the new, what's the next thing that she's going to want? How do we find that? And it's hard. I mean, this business is not, is is definitely not for people who can't tolerate like the craziness and the, the pressure of finding what's happening. I mean, I, I think music, art, creativity, all of that, because, you know, once it's out there, then it's out there. Now you got to find the next thing, no matter what it is. So for me, I, I really try to help people understand that you, you don't we don't get in trouble at Boston proper like you don't get <laughs> in trouble so let's let's try to figure out like let's be inspired let's see what's out there let's keep our minds open and let's keep pushing down the path okay so that was what she did this year what's next year how do we find that next thing and and what does it look like and sometimes you get stuck I mean, sometimes you've, you kept out, you hold on to something like way a little bit, one season too right. long, and you've you got to then know move it, on. When, it, when it's gone past, yeah, right? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. You knew it at the time, right? But yeah. the most cogent thing I'm getting from what you're saying, and I think it applies, I, I, this, is, this is what Chris and I believe, and this is one of the reasons we're doing this, is that you're allowing your people and you're, you're actually encouraging them to take risks. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you've created envi- a work environment where they feel safe in doing that. And there's a lot of um, uh, there's a lot of leaders in, in the various businesses, even in the music world, that that inhibit their their mm-hmm. their team from taking risks. And I think that's so counterproductive in so many ways. Um, and you can tell by the success that you're having that it's a it's it's a tried and true thing at this point. So, so in your in your world, and we've talked about this so much, but I'm if you would for Cheryl, go go deep a little bit in your world. When the leader or the group is not encouraged to take that risk and 
is held back in all the ways we know people can hold people back. Mm -hmm. What's the result? The result is stagnation, and and usually um, it's the it's it's the poorest product that you can come up with because every if everybody feels inhibited it's sort of like having the pipes clogged mm. you know you could turn the water on a little drip of water's coming out but if everybody's inhibited then you're really not going to get the full flow mm. of their expression and their creativity mm. so when i when i put i have th- like i said before um i have three other projects that i do outside of the show and they're all my projects that in my in the sense that i put them together. They were my ideas and I put them together and I chose specific people to do the different things in each in each band. And and one of the reasons I did that is because I have trust and I have faith in these players and I'm gonna let them do what they do to to the music that I'm I wanna mm-hmm. I wanna present. And this was a thing that Duke Ellington was the master at. Yeah. He he was like he hired players and he's and he's like, you do your thing. I'm not yeah. gonna tell you what to do. Yeah. And and if you if you if you hire the right people and you let them do their thing, they are so much more. First of all, they're so much more invested in 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 the company or the or the band or whatever it might be, and the outcome is so much more enriching for everybody. And it goes places that I wouldn't necessarily have thought of because they're they are who they are. They're different personalities with their unique talents, and I let them express it. And the more you let people express within the parameters of whatever it might be, a band, a fashion company, or whatever, then I think you get the best results. And I think that everybody should be pushing toward broadening and opening up those walls. Miles Davis, of course, would be known for somewhat similar. Absolutely. Created some of the best musicians. Absolutely. Uh, Let them do what they do. through his hands. The, the number one best-selling album still in the jazz world is Kind of Blue. Absolutely. Which was made, still is. I don't know, 50 years ago, 45 yes. years ago. Yeah. And I was reading recently about how that album was created. And the musicians all came to the rehearsal studio and the recording studio knowing they were going to lay down the tracks to some new tunes. None of them saw the music. And what Miles did is he gave them all a piece of, I'll say a piece of canvas or a piece of paper that was Japanese parchment paper. And he just had them draw on it, but taught them how to draw without breaking the line. Mm -hmm. Don't stop, don't break the line. And he had them do that for a period of time to really open them up. And it's what you're saying, Cheryl and Mike, what you're saying to make it okay to continue being uncomfortable and taking that risk, not knowing what they were about to play. And for that period of time where he essentially got everybody into the right mind space, he then put the music in front of them mm. and essentially said, go. Yeah. And Kind of Blue was one cut. Yeah. They never, they never yeah. redid the song. One and, shot. And in the film, you have the biggest breakthroughs when that stuff happens. I mean, you go from this to that, like it's like an evolutionary step that you, you not, didn't necessarily see, necessarily see coming. And in the, in the film world, you had uh, uh, directors like John Cassavetes who would just put people together and have them, give them the idea of what the scene was without even a script. Give them an idea. This is what's going on. And a lot of times they would be improvising mm-hmm. the script as they would, like just regular people in a room talking about a situation. And, and he became, because of that, that particular thing that he added to the art, he's become a, um, you know, a, a renowned innovator mm-hmm. of uh, a film by letting people do what they do. Creativity is in all of us. But most people who are not physically creative will say, I'm not creative, or I'm bad at art. I can't sing, I can't whatever. But as soon as you start digging a little bit, everybody has it, but it just shows up in different ways. And I find that that's part of the responsibility of anybody who leads in any way is to find that, whatever that is, so that you can get past whatever the problem is or whatever the obstacle is, so that you can get on with what you're supposed to do. So let's talk about teams and, and empowering teams and, and finding the way inside of people, hearts, minds, souls, whatever way we can with the handful of keys that we have to open up the doors. 
because to, to actually problem solve or to break through obstacles, to get to we know something we have to achieve, is very difficult for people. And it's difficult for a person singly on their own, never mind a collective of people, mm-hmm. to try to rally them to get through that. And, and that combination of fears and and lack of esteem or minimal self-esteem or something that happened five minutes ago, literally, can change the behavior of how somebody is able to push ahead. And we have responsibilities to achieve some kind of goal. And in your case, Mike, it's a Broadway show or one of the, the musical projects you're working on in Cheryl's world. It's trying to find the style or the line or the, the season or the, or the kind of inspiration somebody needs to cross that, that line is not such an easy thing to do. And, and so how, how do we, what steps do you take to, to connect with people so that it's okay, so that we can find the path? Because it's not all the same. What's, what, what are some of the things that you and your world use that are part of your for me you know your your tools and things that you use i I think so again if you think about it it all has to be authentic no matter what you do right Mm -hmm. and so i'm a very i wear my heart on my sleeve my door is always open i'm like i'm i'm sympathetic and i'm compassionate and uh, you know i just I, i love people and to hear stories and how can I help and I have this nurturing nature about me. So that kind of manifests itself sometimes in good ways and sometimes in bad ways. What I found over the course of time is people want to be valued. Straight up. Mm -hmm. I, I want you to actually think and believe that what I'm doing creates value to the customer, to the other cross-functional teams, to you, to you know whoever it is. And I think at every level in the organization, for people to feel like you value them, you know, we just had the hurricane scare, and you know, part of what I did, I didn't, I didn't consciously do this, but I was telling my coach about it. She was like, you know, that's such a big deal. I went to everybody and said, how's your family? Is there anything we can do? How? And there was only 70 people or so that lived in my office. And it wasn't like it was, a, it was some task that I felt like I had to do. It was just what I do. And I think authentic things like that, in my mind, help people feel valued. And when people feel valued, they want to work hard for you. They want to be successful. They want you to be proud of them. And they care about what the output is of what their work is. And then you can empower them and let them go, like we talked about. Mm-hmm. Like, let them go. And then you're like, wow, look at the amazing work they do. Mm-hmm. So I think some of it's innate with the person and who you are as a leader, and then some of it's things you just have to do. And, and you know, I, had to, I personally, one of my journeys was I had to learn how to listen because I'm Italian and I talk and I'm passionate and I get really excited. And so my, my, my journey continues to be about listening. And so there are times where I'll go to a meeting and I, won't, I will not bring a pen. I will sit on my hands and I will just, they'll have paper for me to follow. And I won't, I won't go through it. I'm just going to listen. Mm-hmm. And it helps me. And actually, when you actually do that with someone, they're like, wow, she's not even, she, like, mm-hmm. wow. So I, I, to me, I think it's, it's what, what is it, walk the talk, talk yeah. the walk. That mm-hmm. is probably the biggest thing in my life that I've learned. Mm-hmm. And, and, and to find your responsibility is obviously being authentic and real, but also you kind of said find what's, valuable in them, right? To make it okay. Yeah. That by listening, they get a chance to express who they are. Absolutely. Absolutely. I had this situation recently where a pretty senior person was struggling with taking a risk for the next level of responsibility. And we had lots of conversations and I figured out that finally the key was for me to say, in essence, I have your back. Right. That nothing bad's going to happen. Right. That at the end of this, however it works out, you can take that risk. And the downside risk will not be as bad as what's in your head. And we're just going to go on this journey. Yeah. And we'll figure it out. 
but it took a lot of efforts to finally find the key that kind of unlocked the conversation. But it did start with just kind of being completely okay and open with whatever was going to happen. Yep. And I had to be you okay took with the that risk. too. You and took the she, risk out of it, out of the equation yeah, for her. Yeah, that the worst scenario, whatever was in someone's head, yeah. um, is part of what we're responsible for. I think in music also where you're taking risks every second, mm-hmm. even though the note's on paper or you're even improvising, mm. you still have to have a level of belief that is kind of what you said earlier, that that group of people are the right people to take that risk and that whatever happens, you're okay with as yeah. that leader in the moment. And vice versa, that they can reflect on you and each other in a way that everybody's okay with. I think you both articulated it exactly the way I would in, in my sphere of influence and that is in that a lot of, uh, I, I see a lot of people that I know, that, friends that are involved in various businesses that, that feel so pressured that if they make a mistake, their job is on the line, they're fired, you know, or they won't get a good recommendation for another job. I mean, it's like this whole spiraling thing that happens. Mm-hmm. And subsequently, they're either repressed you know, about their creative possibilities or they're depressed uh, in their personality and their emotional state. And I think to to create an environment where where the say management or leadership and the the workforce and you know, band leader band whatever it might be is not there's not a schism or there isn't a feeling that that the workforce or the band are are and are the others and then there's the leaders and they're the CEOs and management. But the way you just put it, like where your door is open and you take a, a vested interest in, in their well-being and you create an atmosphere that you, like you said before, there are no mistakes in your business. Everybody's cool, there's, everything is good. And I think if you nurture that, you're gonna get the best out of, out of people. And I think it, it happens, I see it happen again and again in music where, you know, where, where, the, where there's a, a big, division of of interest between the management and the and the the labor usually find antagonism mm-hmm. when when that when that's when there's a bridge between them and that's open um usually find that the most satisfied workers the most satisfied workers are the best workers are the most creative workers and they produce the best uh, the best uh, results because they feel invested and they feel part of it so this idea of a team has to be not just not just kind of an abstract term. You're my team. No, it's got to. You got to show them that you're my team. Mm-hmm. You got to be really involved in mm-hmm. in their day to day and show them that you're actually you're actually a part of it. Everybody's a part of this, and it's a two way street. And I think that's the best way yeah. to go. How do you get creativity out of people that have the fear or have the lack of confidence? Uh, you know, I, I think yeah. that people need small wins. Right, so if you can start to, to see some small wins and bring them up, right? So business might not be good, but one of the, one of the key indicators is positive. How do you build that up and, and start to talk about that? And to me, it's, it's small wins all of a sudden are bigger wins and bigger wins and bigger mm-hmm. wins. So if you're starting to feel good because you've got a couple small wins, then, I mean, it's how I dug myself out as well. Mm-hmm. I had to find those nuggets that kept me going and kept me motivated. And those are the things that I would talk to. Now, granted, they weren't the big KPIs that everyone, you know, is looking for in the company, but they were signs to me that said, we're on the right track, stay true, mm-hmm. you're doing it. So for me, I then started doing that with my team. But look what you guys did. Look what you, how many you got right. Look, you know, we, we, we did this well, like, celebrate. So I start mm-hmm. celebrating the small wins. And then all of a sudden, they're happening a lot. And then people are mm-hmm. starting to feel confident. And there's nothing like, I mean, again, we talk about confidence in Boston Pepper for the women and the clothes we want, but there's nothing like confidence in anything you do in life, mm-hmm. right? I feel like you could conquer anything, a disease, no matter what it is, you could conquer it if you have confidence. And it may not be the end result you want. It may not be the best end result, but you're going to do it. And that journey is going to be so much better because you're approaching it with a, such a different attitude and and. Mm-hmm. I just think when that stuff happens, it's it's infectious. It's like mm-hmm. crazy right. good. Yep. Infectious. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. I thought it would be fun to to 
bring some context to the conversation around around creativity. And we've, over time, experimented with a bunch of different ideas, some of them musically, some of them just in conversation. And finding that thread, I mentioned earlier, finding that thread and how that thread, when you pull it and you step back Mm -hmm. away from the painting, you see things that you didn't know were there. And you mentioned this early, Mike, and, and Cheryl, you mentioned this too, about that, the ultimate inspiration and the creativity to stay true to something that's different and being confident to follow that through does take courage, but it also takes context. That if you just only are looking at what's in front of you and following that one idea, eventually you have to lift your head up. Mm-hmm. And we see it in a world of mobility and mobile devices and technology where it's a head-down world. And you know what I mean, literally, it's a head-down world. In this city, in New York, you, you see lots of people walk into cars and walk in the middle of intersections. And we had it for a brief moment in time with all different kinds of games and things that people play on their phone. But it's, it's true, too, in, in creativity and trying to figure out how to take an idea and turn it in, into something. So I wanted to take a thread that starts off with a song we all know, Um, which is Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. And probably all of us heard that somewhere between age three and four, I would guess. But what often gets lost in that simple little riff, tune, notes, is what it has become in other genres, in other musical uh, motifs and how it gets applied in a way that I think is surprising. So I, I mentioned we were going to try this experiment just with the three of us, and it, it's, it's something that I've often done in different settings and big groups and small groups, and, it, and it's a really fun way to have people, us, separate ourselves from ourselves and get some context because so often we're so caught up with what's in our head and the thoughts that are continuing to stream through our minds that block us from actually paying attention to what's going on or in this crazy world, lifting your head up because of the technology and actually listening and getting context. So this, this first piece uh, is something we all grew up with, as, as I mentioned, um, probably at the age three or four. Someone sang it to us, and it forever is instilled mm-hmm. in our mind, probably, and it brings back these evocative uh, memories. So let's try the first version. Okay, so that was number one. It's from a, a famous French poet who wrote the French version of Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. But Mozart then, some years later, took that same motif and turned it into the 12 variations, but didn't call it Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. He called it the, the 12 variations and started off with that very simple theme and turned it into something spectacular. Mm. And so that's the second version, and it continues on and gets continually more complex, okay. adding new parts and multiple, multiple sounds kind of all happening around, again, that same thread. thread. That melody, yeah. That same thread. And the last one is, a, is one of the most famous songs probably that still exists in most people's uh, playlist, depending on what kind of mood you're in. And, and now that you've heard the, those versions, you'll, you should be able to perceive that this song is built on the uh, the same melody melodic structure even though it's almost unrecognizable but if you listen a little deeply you'll hear it see trees of green red roses too i see them blue 
So that's the Louis Armstrong. That's mm-hmm. so wild. It's the same melody. Wow. <laughs> yep. And then Dean Martin had a version called Blue Moon. Oh, Blue Moon. And inside Blue Moon also is that same melodic structure. And then maybe talk about Cream, which did their own version. Yeah. And Clapton. No, you don't have to play. You're gonna, what, you're no, play just it? No, let's just talk about it. Yeah. yeah. So the idea is that, um, you know, from a very, very simple, very basic little motif or pattern, if you open are open enough, you could actually develop and make something uh, profoundly com- complex or profoundly resonant with masses and masses of people. But who would have thought that unless you were open to the possibilities of it? And I think that that kind of thinking is necessary for for um, almost any kind of business today, not just the creative arts, but just any kind of business where you can recognize something and and instead of dismissing it or saying, well, that's just too that's too simplistic. I can never do anything with that. But you take a simple idea, and if you're if you're open enough, and you're um, you're more deeply connected with um, the um, zeitgeist, as it were, then you could actually create something really profound mm-hmm. and enriching. And how about from your perspective, Cheryl? The power of context, a simple idea, expanded. Yeah, I mean, it's it's that was pretty incredible. I never. Mm-hmm. kind of put that together but I think that's part of what we have to do every day in my mm-hmm. business um, you know I, I, and, and kind of a really I'm going to go tactical but we have this pant for 20 years it's been the best selling pant in the company good times bad times it's the best selling mm-hmm. pant it was it's like a tra- we call it the travel pant it's our spin on it it's like a yoga pant before yoga pants were mm-hmm. the, all the thing, the, all the thing. Mm-hmm. but it's kind of really cool and we always think of like the customer who wears it, and we've always put her in a box and said this is who she was. And this last trip, Alon, our, our creative director, said, I, I, want, I want free reign. Go for it. Dude, it's the best pant in the company. What's the, what's the worst thing that could happen? Mm-hmm. And he opened it up and did like 15 different ways to wear this pant that we would have never thought of. And cool ways and with sneakers and out dressy and literally like blew this thing up where I was like, oh my God, mm-hmm. this is like incredible. You took this one little mm-hmm. thing and now we got to do something with all this collateral because mm-hmm. it's so amazing. So that to me is kind of like, that's what's so exciting about life is when you when you open the reins, when you free people up, they can take the littlest idea and turn it into mm-hmm. amazing things. And, and not not always for commerce, but for freedom or for open thinking or for just so many reasons outside of to make money. Because he wasn't thinking, how, this is a best-selling pamp. We make a ton of money on it. His goal wasn't, how do I sell more of these? Mm. His goal was, how do I turn this into like different ways, different lifestyles? How do I, how do, I do something amazing with this? Mm. And that, I think, is what really motivates mm, yeah. people. Yep. Agreed. Perfect ending. Thank you. <laughs>